Hello, welcome to the podcast. I'm Kyle Fincham. You're listening to Behind the Movement. My guest today is Max Hammer with a guest appearance by Bob Hammer. And I will get to that in just a moment. Um, First, I want to thank everybody who came out for the Infinite Play Jam that we did in Amsterdam this past weekend. Um, Yeah, that was really wonderful. It was a special day. And the biggest thank you to Crazy Monkey, um, Thomas and Michael, for helping put the event together last minute. Um, Yeah, it was really, really wonderful and, and such an incredible group to jam with for a couple hours. So thank you all for being there. Um, if you're anywhere near Amsterdam, highly recommend stopping by Crazy Monkey, uh, taking one of their classes. Um, super knowledgeable, super fun, very thoughtful group. So uh, yeah, can't recommend it more highly. And uh, also make sure after class you ask them to direct you to their favorite sandwich spot down the road because it is also exceptional. Um, right now... I'm sitting in Paris, and we're just a couple days out from our final Infinite Play workshop on this European tour. Um, So if you're in Paris or if you're nearby, I would love to see you. Um, You can still sign up. Um, Yeah, it'll be two full days here uh, this week, which is the uh, 23rd and 24th of October. Um, After that, we will head back to the U.S. and do a couple more events in November, Um, the first will be on November 6th and 7th in Boulder, Colorado, and that event is hosted by Block 1750. The following weekend, um, we'll be back in Brooklyn, and that's November 13th and 14th for the, probably the last infinite play of the year, but who knows, anything could happen, but, uh, treat it as if it's the last of 2021, so if you're nearby, Uh, sign up and join us. It'll be a really fun one. Um, You can sign up for any of these or get the information to sign up by going to my website, which is kylefincham.com. All right. Those are my announcements. As I said, my podcast today, my conversation today is with Max Hammer, and we have a a guest appearance by Bob Hammer. Um, Just to give you a little bit of background, um, I went to school, um, elementary school, middle school, and high school, actually, with, uh, with Bob and his sister Amy and his brother Nick. And at different points, uh, we all kind of crossed paths uh, while we were in school. When we were in elementary school, I think his, his sister and Amy and I were in a, a ski group together. Um, and then later on in high school, uh, Nick and I went through ski patrol training together and uh, all along the way, uh, Bob and I crossed paths at different points. Um, but uh, I followed along the last few years with um, some of Bob's story and achievements. Um, and I just thought it was a really interesting story. So I reached out and just wanted to see if there was a way to have a conversation about this or with Bob or, yeah, about about everything that, that was happening. So um, I exchanged a couple messages with his sister Amy she put me in touch with her husband, uh, Max, who directed a documentary um, about Bob that, uh, that they've been screening. And uh, 
decided that we should have a conversation for the podcast. So with that said, let me give a little bit of uh, the background for uh, Max and Bob um, before I share this conversation with you. Um, Max Hammer is a professional skier, mountain guide, and former member of the United States ski team. He was raised by the ski slopes of Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and honed his skills on mountains around the world before finding a home in the Sierra Nevada mountains. The library of information found on his website is born out of a personal desire to understand the art of skiing. The coaching services provided by Max are the result of over 10 years of experience during stints with the Jackson Hole Ski Club, Squaw Valley Ski Team, and the U.S. Development Team. Off the hill, Max shares a home with his two boys, Otto and Holden, his wife, Amy, and his brother-in-law, Bob. In addition to skiing, Max is also a filmmaker with Houseplant Creative. And to give you a little bit of uh, Bob's background, um, Andrew Harris uh, likes to be called Bob Hammer, um, and he loves coffee. He is 34 years young and lives in Reno, Nevada with his sister Amy, brother-in-law Max, uh, and his nephews. In 2017, he became the first person with Down syndrome to summit the Grand Teton, a 13,776-foot craggy peak in Jackson, Wyoming. A few of Bob's interests include skiing, hiking, running, climbing, skateboarding, biking, horseback riding, swimming, paddleboarding, kayaking, and swinging at the playground. Bob is definitely capable because he loves doing things. He has an open mind and a willing spirit, and he eats healthy, delicious food. Bob loves people and the Gilmore Girls. He is sweet, loving, and comforting. I guess you could say Bob is a real Renaissance man. Find Bob at the skate park, hiking in the desert in Reno, or in the upcoming movie, Ducky Goes Up. So, with all of that said, here is my conversation with Max Hammer and a very brief appearance by Bob Hammer. Enjoy. Yeah, I also have a um, like a film production company. It's a partnership, so it's myself and and a friend. Um, we make like well, I would say we make a lot of things, but um, we don't actually make a lot of things. We make a few particular things each year. Um, ideally they're like big projects that are fun. Um, sometimes they're almost all like branded, like kind of commercial things, but, um, they're not always like, uh, actual commercials for products. Um, usually they're like adventures or stories or almost like documentaries that get branded. Um, mm -hmm. like currently we're working on this, uh, it's a climbing documentary about the sixties and seventies and how that has affected us or, or has affected climbing now um it's about yeah. the like clean climbing revolution for basically when north american climbers switched from using pitons to using uh removable hardware things like this guy like hexes and um okay. nuts and stuff uh basically as a way to not destroy the rock um because as they were pounding pitons in into cracks they were like like literally blowing out the cracks um and potentially going to lose their climbing uh, so they made this conscious effort, sort of like the, the head honchos of climbing at the time, like Yosemite climbers and, and people in the gunks in New York too. 
Mm -hmm. um, basically made, we're like, look, they kind of got together. Not everyone. Some, there were some people who did not switch, <laughs> but they were like, look, there's another way to do it. There's people in uh, the UK were already sort of practicing this other way of doing it. And they kind of like took their ideas and expanded on them and brought them back to the States. And we're like, this is what we should be doing. Um, nice. So, uh, but like we're, it's a documentary. We turned it into a mockumentary. So we're doing like reenactments and skits and stuff as a way to like kind of show that history and build mm -hmm. it into now. Um, but yeah, so that uh, ski stuff in the winter. Um, I feel like I have 20 jobs, but none of them are all that like mm -hmm. straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. And, I understand. Yeah. And Bob is a job too, actually. Um, we're like, con we're contracted by the state oh. um, to be his host home providers. So uh, we get a little income from that. Um, it's basically for giving him a house and uh, keeping him alive and stuff. <laughs> nice. How, how is he doing? I mean, he always seems, I mean, it's so funny. I, I, so you sent me the link and I watched uh -huh. the documentary. Yeah. And I don't know, like, I just like, I remember him and I say Andrew just because it's like, it's like, yeah, like, that's, just like that's how you can date, date his relationships with yeah. which, which name you go, he goes by. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's like, he's like, he's so the same. It's so interesting and, and funny to me. I was like, oh, like, it's the same person that I just remember like wandering through the hall by yeah. or something, you know? Yeah. He's sort of eternal. Um, yeah, I, I think he's doing really good. I mean, so he's been he's been living with us for I, pretty much the whole time since we've been back. That was one of the reasons we came back was to um, have him come and live with us. And uh, it's, it's been working out great um, now that he's well, he's a multiple time uncle, um, both with his older brother and their family and then and now with us. So he's pretty much like full time uncle in our in our house uh, mm -hmm. with a one year old and a three and a half year old. Nice. Um, and then he spends a ton of time with the rest of his family, um, like usually on weekends or days here and there when he's not with us, he kind of like gets an escape with them. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, he's doing pretty good. I, I would say like we, because we've got the two young kids, like we have a lot less like concentrated adventure time or like fun time with Andrew, um, mm -hmm. but we're still all together all the time. And so like we hit the playground a bunch <laughs> and Bob's <laughs> or Andrew, um, uh, he's like, he's just on the playground with us, like swinging the whole time or doing the slides. And um, like, we don't have as much time for super long hikes or runs or things like that, but I still move all day long. Um, yeah. And so and I think he's doing it, pretty good. It also seems like, I mean, I don't know how long you've known him now. I mean, like a, a decade or so. Yeah. Close to that. I want to say like seven or eight years, something like that. Okay. Cause it's like, I don't know, like, I mean, the, the documentary is very short, but just like what I see and, and also just kind of like seeing, I follow him on social media and just see yeah. like the relationship between you guys. It's like, I don't know. There's something like very unique between the two of you. That oh I, yeah. <laughs> that I feel like I see and I'm like, I, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it seems like there's like, um, I don't know, something like a, like a best friendship thing. Yeah, I would say that's totally true. I mean, we, we kind of immediately hit it off and partly that's because he's just like the first, I think the very first meeting, like he literally ran and just jumped into my arms. Like, okay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, I just, feel really, I mean, personally, I just think we're comfortable with each other and we kind of both like the same things. Like we both really like 
tacos and the skate park. So um, <laughs> pretty easy. Like it pretty much anytime Amy leaves, he looks at me and he's like, oh, tacos, skate park. <laughs> um, and honestly, I'm just like, that's exactly what I want to do. So on the days that that works out, that's pretty much, that's what we go do. You know, we make tacos and go to the skate park. Now yeah. our crew and our skate park crew includes Holden. So we roll up to the skate park and we're like, scooter bob's butt boarding like holden's Mm. just snacking and lapping around and i'm they're just it's not what i grew up with at the skate park like be just going myself but um Uh it's it's really fun and also we can like depend we pick our time like we don't go when there's like tons of people there or anything but uh it's really fun to watch people kind of watch us Uh and and see like what's going on (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're yeah. like what's up with this guy like is that your kid like what are you guys doing and then we just try to set the tone <laughs> especially with bob where i'm like i just hype him up the whole time or push him around or like really encourage him and then by the time you know he's gotten a few laps and stuff people are are hyped and yeah. it just flips to like now they're pushing him around or giving him high fives and stuff i think when you show up to the skate park like there's there's an energy that's already there and um it can be standoffish but my experience and maybe it's just because i've done it for so long is that um you can change that energy and and make it really positive if it's not um Mm. and a lot of times that's just i think skaters are like they're looking for you to sort of prove yourself not that you're good but just that you like keep coming back and you keep trying and that you're okay to slam and like try again um yeah so we, I try to like jumpstart that and uh, keep the energy really high. And then if we do that, it's like the whole skate park is now like, okay, Bob's a skater. Like he's with us um, or our three and a half year old Holden. He's on his scooter. I'm like, you guys, he can't always see you. Like you need to look out for him. Like it's not his fault. If you hit him, he's three. <laughs> <laughs> that is That is quite the crew. That is oh, quite the crew. dude, it's so funny. We like got my little Holden's like doggy backpack full of snacks and like our fun water bottles and stuff. And you roll up to this skate park that's all hard and everyone's mm-hmm. wearing all black. And um, we just try to like break it immediately and then rebuild the energy really quick. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, but you're talking about this thing that like I feel like is kind of like, I don't know, common among like counterculture I don't want to say sports, counterculture activities, counterculture, like physical activities, like surfing, skateboarding, rock climbing, break dancing, like jujitsu. It's, there's a, like this celebration of like, if you, as you said, like, if you just keep showing up, it doesn't mm-hmm. really matter. Like how quote, like good you are at the thing. If you just like, if you're just there and you're doing it, there's like, there's like mad respect for that. Yeah, but not at first, right? Because it seems like what happens, and this is funny with counterculture things, is like you say you're counterculture, everyone's accepted, but at first glance, it's kind of like, oh, everyone's accepted, but like you guys are all wearing the same thing and doing the same thing and sort of acting the same way. Um, Almost like there's a uniform and like the uniform helps you get in. But I do think that, that that is like a facade and that the actuality is that, Oh, you kept showing up like, Oh, you are trying. Oh, you took a hit and you're like still willing to keep trying. 
that uh that like supersedes everything eventually because i think at first like if i were to show up at the skate park now and say i wasn't wearing the right clothes or like good at skateboarding it'd be really intimidating and i think what people are looking for is not how good you are although as the newcomer you're like oh my god they're judging me because i suck i think they're actually judging you because they want to see you know are you going to stick with this or is this like a passing fad because for them it's like no, this is not a passing fad. Like I'm putting everything into this. And if you show me a little bit of that, like you're in, you're welcome. Like you're in, you're in the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, real, I realize as we're chatting, because other people are going to listen to this and I, I know Bob, Andrew, Yeah. Um, other people aren't. Can you give a little bit of like who he is, like his story, like, and, and his background a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Um, Bob goes by many names. Bob is his self-declared nickname uh, when he moved (laughs) to our house. My last name's Hammer. And when he moved in with us, he just assumed this name, Bob Hammer. Um, But his real name is Andrew Harris. Uh, But he's got a million other nicknames. So sometimes it's hard to keep straight. Um, He goes by Ducky. He goes by Bob. He goes by Andrew. And you can date the relationship, like we said, kind of on which nickname people know him by. So like, if you went to high school with him, you know him as Andrew. If you went to elementary school with him, you might know him as Ducky. If you've met him since uh, like in the last five years, you know him as Bob. Um, Bob has Down syndrome. He's 36, almost 37 years old. Um, He's uh, the brother of my wife. So we all live together. He's my brother-in-law. Um, and he's got one more brother too. So pretty big family. He's an uncle, he's a son, he's sort of an eternal youth. Um, he's currently like happy and healthy and hasn't always been, uh, he's more or less always been happy, but not necessarily always healthy. Um, and, uh, he's, he's the man, he's very joyous. He brings a lot of love to our life and, uh, he loves tacos and the skate park. He likes, he likes a little bit of thrill. Um, and I think uh, it, it's funny because, you know, that some of the few things I think that humans relate to are like humor, thrill, like love, fun, all this stuff. And like, he's got all that stuff in abundance, um, but you can't always tell what he's saying or how he's, how he's acting. Like it's totally different um because he's got down syndrome uh but he's just a human like all of us and um and uh yeah he's the best we love him i love him i was when i watched the the documentary there's like some moments especially like on the mountain that kind of capture this thing that i that i think a lot about like i feel like we lean a lot like into like words into like verbal language as like our only way to communicate and at one point, Amy's like kind of giving him some ideas about going up the mountain. And you can tell he's like a little kind of like afraid. And it's not with, you don't need the words. It's like a nervous, nervous systems can have conversations, right? So like there's like nonverbal communication going on constantly. And if you're participatory in that, and if you're kind of seasoned in it, like a lot can be said. Oh, yeah, you nailed it. I mean, Bob doesn't like he he understands English. He understands it more than he can speak it. Mm-hmm. And um, but his nonverbal communication is like 
he lives in and breathes by it. Uh, so really the energy that you bring is far more important than what you say, like as they're climbing. I, I don't think a lot of this is in the in the movie because it's it was a little the context is hard, but Amy's Amy talked more that day than I've ever heard her speak. But in half the time she's like, you could do it, Bob, do it for Batman, you know, do it for Spider-Man, you're Peter Pan. Like she's, you know, she's basically throwing out this like random nonsense, but it's her energy that he's picking up on and knowing that it's okay and that he's safe and that like, you know, if he keeps his energy up, he'll be fine. Um, so that way more than the words, um, or, or he'll pick up on cue words, uh, and, and kind of like figure out what we're doing, but it's all the energy. I, rem I remember one time we were hiking in desolation wilderness and, uh, this thunderstorm rolled in like this huge gnarly one. We got to the top of this pass and looked out and were, it was like doomsday. It was one of the most beautiful <laughs> things I've ever seen, but also like, we were sort of in shock watching it and then realized, oh, this thing's going to hit us in like two minutes. Um, and we turned around and, and I sort of started panicking and I've, I've got Bob kind of in my arm and I'm like, Bob, we got to run right now. Like we got to run right now. We're going to die. You know, this thunderstorm's coming. Mm -hmm. And he froze. And that energy is what he was responding to. Like the situation could have been anything, but my energy transferred to him of this panic and his panic state is like, just total freeze. Um, so we, we had to like totally reshift into like, Oh yeah, Bob, let's run now. Like that could be fun. Like check this out. We can run through this trail and jump on the rock. And, and you, it was amazing to just have this realization. I think Amy had it a long time ago, but that energy that you bring despite the situation is, is going to give you a, a different output. And so by flipping from the like panic, me being panicked to me being fun in the back of my head knowing that, you know, we really had to get down. Um, it, it, it changed our whole situation. Um, right. It's almost like, it's almost like the intention matters more than the words. Oh yeah. Big time. Yeah. The intention a hundred percent matters more than the words. And for Bob, if that intention is like, this will be fun and chances are things will go well or <laughs> it, no matter how serious it is, uh, you kind of have to speak in the language of fun with him. So when you and Amy met, before you met Bob, like, you know, you were already like, do like having your own adventures, like you're skiing and, and climbing, mountaineering and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I so uh, for my whole life, I've been into, I mean, I just grew up in the woods. So just mm -hmm. exploring um, outside and uh, my brothers, my brother and sister are into it too, but um, I fell into skiing at an early age um, and then ski racing and, and made it pretty far with that. I was on the U.S. ski team for a little while and and then sort of graduated past skiing uh, or the racing aspect, but continued to ski and um, really got way more into climbing up mountains instead of just taking the lift and, uh, and sort of combining just being outside all the time and, and moving all the time uh, with the downhill part of skiing that I love so much. Um, and I still do that. I'm still like technically a professional skier. Um, and some of that is like making movies or helping like design products, things like that, uh, or being in front of the camera, I guess. Um, but, uh, I also have a role coaching and, and guiding. I'm like certified mountain guide, uh, or partially certified mountain guide. Um, so I can take people up and down the mountain and, and kind of provide the same experience that I love. 
uh, in a safe way, ideally. Um, and yeah, I mean, climbing, skiing, swimming, I just like being outside and, and moving. So I, and I think Amy's the same way. So we really try to just arrange our life to make that possible more often than not. Um, and I try to design my work life so that I'm also just playing outside. <laughs> you know, Amy and I were in the same ski program in elementary school. That's awesome. At Diamond you, Peak. At, at Diamond Peak, like, I don't know, she was a couple years younger than me. So I was in like fifth grade, whatever grade she was in. And like, we had the same coach. Yeah. And like, it was just like, I don't know, her and I and like five other people. So like, that was like how we met. Yeah. And that was like, you know, 1995 or whatever. <laughs> with, with loose oversight and a lot of fun, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Cause it was also like, there was no stakes. There was no racing. It was not the race program. It was just like the let's go out and ski program. Yeah. And uh, to this day, I'm still in touch with the the guy who was our coach. Oh, no way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's cool. And then I became a coach in that same program. Um, but fast forward, I didn't ski from like the time I was 19 or 18 until this year. Oh yeah. So at 36. Yeah. Cause we got an opportunity to go stay at, in Beaver Creek for free. Uh-huh. Uh, a friend of our, or my, um, my aunt and uncle's timeshare that they couldn't use because of COVID. So we went and, uh, <laughs> it was amazing. We even got like a powder day, uh, and, uh, yeah, hadn't missed a beat. And I was like, cool. Still got it. Still got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think skiing's like, I mean, I, there's probably other sports like this, but I think, especially if you get into it anywhere and as a youth, um, it's just in your in your body. And it's a kind of movement that, uh, I think it, it can feel pretty natural. And so you literally like just jump back in. And the other thing about it, that's really cool is almost the worse you are, it can be more fun, you know, more thrilling, like the less control you have, the more, uh, the more it feels like sledding where you're really just kind of putting yourself out there. So, um, I think it's got, I, I think skiing has something for everyone. And I've always loved that. Like you could take it really far um, or you can do it one day of your life and it might have the same amount of fun um, and impact as, as the person who's taken it really far. Mm-hmm. So when you, so when you met Bob, then like, were, was he, was he already kind of like dabbling in kind of like outdoor activities yeah. Um, basically thanks to Amy. I mean, actually thanks to, to his whole family. He's always been outdoors, I think, because his brother and sister were basically like, look, we're outside. You're a brother and sister. Like you're coming with us. Like you're playing with us. You're, you're in the game. You're on the hike. You're like climbing the rock. Uh, you've got Down syndrome. Sure. But you're our brother. So like you're coming with us. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the thing that really changed was his, uh, was his eating habits. And, and that was from Amy. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a pretty serious illness. Um, I didn't know him then, so I won't speak to exactly what it was cause I don't know the details, but, um, the amount of food and the type of foods that he were, was eating, I think probably a lot of processed foods and, and just, uh, just a lot of food, uh, gave him, I, I want to say it was a hi- hiatal hernia, but I also don't want to be quoted on that. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it became so painful for him to eat, which is like really the thing he's he's quite good at, um, mm-hmm. that he just stopped. He refused to eat. It hurt so bad. Uh, that put him in the hospital for a while, I think like um, two and a half weeks or something. They performed surgery. They installed a feeding tube. I mean, he would, he would like not even drink water um, because it hurt so much. 
uh, the, and eating, keep in mind, is like by far the biggest passion in his life. Like he, <laughs> he, he thinks about eating and, and would eat all the time. Uh, there's some mechanisms inside of people with Down syndrome that uh, are, are, are different than people without Down syndrome, like the ability to recognize you're full. I think um, whether it's hormonal or some sort of mechanism he doesn't really have that. So there's nothing sort of internally telling him like you're full. Now you can stop. The, the thing that tells him is he's full is when someone tells him he's full and kind of takes the plate away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then also his metabolism is slow. And then as we found out later, he's, he's got these food sensitivities and um, borderline allergies that uh, were, were a big effect too, but we just, we didn't know at the time. And then, and I of course wasn't around at all. Uh, but Amy, his sister really kind of like after the, the feeding tube and, um, he was on a feeding tube for three years. Uh, and I think during that time he was still outside, but, um, it just wasn't, wasn't quite the same. And I think, uh, his family knew like he had way more potential than that. Um, so at a certain point they were basically like, uh, okay, we're going to get you off the tube. We're going to get you back to real food and kind of like reset, uh, with eating and, and try to make it, try to make it work better because like I, you know, he was in pain and wasn't happy during that time. And when he's outside moving and having fun, like he's totally happy. So it was just the, the food thing that was the factor. Um, so, uh, the Harris family really like changed how they interact with him and interact with food. And I think Amy kind of took the lead on that Mm -hmm. one, just getting him back to real food. So she would like slowly introduce foods that he used to like and, and, and still liked, but was afraid to eat because the pain was still such a strong thing, even after three years. Uh, and, and then as she was introducing food slowly, she was also introducing, uh, movement starting with walking and then eventually running and more strenuous hiking and stuff like that. But it was really gradual from my understanding. And she would sort of like pick him up and, uh, this was while she was at school. So she would go to school and then she would go pick him up and then say, Hey, we're going for a walk in the park today. And then that gradually went to like, Oh, we're going for a longer walk. We're going for a hike. We're going to run. Um, and, uh, and then she really tried to take control of his diet. Uh, he was in a group home for a while, so she didn't have full control and the family didn't have full control. And, um, that was totally on purpose. You know, that was a way to give him some independence Um, but the group home, like nutrition was pretty awful. And so really once then he moved in with us, uh, so then I entered the scene, but, um, it was more that Amy had like kind of full control of his food. Uh, then things really changed big time. And, um, so he was, he was getting super active. He was really healthy. And then once the food was kind of really dialed in, um, with special thanks to Amy is like this huge change. And so now that happy, happy little dude who was outside playing around had the energy to do it and didn't have the pain and was like free to, to be that person, uh, that was, that was really a moment. And I mean, when he climbed the Grand Teton, which is what the documentary is about, uh, it was probably a bit of a culmination of, of all those things of, you know, like it wasn't a goal of his to climb the Grand Teton. Um, in fact, he, it was kind of a joke. Um, 
for Amy and I, because he thought the Grand Teton was this tiny little mountain in town that's actually called Snoking, um, which he had hiked before. You know, it's like an hour hike, uh, but the Grand Teton is like seven times the size or more and way harder. <laughs> so uh, we always joked about it because because Bob would be like, yeah, Grand Teton. We'd be like, you want to climb it? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so we thought, oh, that'd be funny if we actually did it. And then we we kept thinking about it. And we're like, you know what? Actually, he's in a really good place right now. He can hike a long ways. He knows how to climb. Um, the rope systems are probably easy. We could figure that out. Uh, actually, he probably could climb the Grand Teton. So what went from a joke, it uh, turned into an opportunity. Uh, and... I think what's interesting is that it was never actually really a goal, um, not of his or ours. It was just like an idea um, that he he probably couldn't have done before. But once he got to a really good, healthy place, it was a total possibility. So we just kind of were like, okay, no, we're going to Jackson. Uh, we were actually going to Jackson to get married. So we knew it was coming up. And then we thought, well, let's just go early and we'll see if Bob can actually climb this thing. Um and so, he this, did. So, so, so this was like the prelude to the wedding. Yeah, that, that week was incredible. So we, uh, the, oh, the prelude to the wedding idea. was the Grand Teton climb. Uh, plus uh, the, uh, a couple of days after was the, the full and total solar eclipse. And Jackson was in line for like the 100% eclipse. So uh, first we like blew our minds at the top of the Grand Teton with Bob and his energy just blowing out of his ears and his eyes and um, as he got to the top and then down to the bottom too. Uh, and then a few days later, we watched the solar eclipse and like blew our minds again. And then we got married uh, that next weekend um, with everyone fully recovered. The, the Grand Teton took a lot out of us. Uh, so luckily there was just enough time to recuperate, um, add in this sort of like cosmic event and then the marriage and yeah, it was a pretty all time, all time week for all of us. <laughs> wow. That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, but before, so had you ever done the Grand Teton on your own or you and Amy, like, is this, was there some sort of familiarity there? Yeah. And uh, there's significance too. So the first time I ever climbed it, even though I'd grown up there, um, I remember as kids, my parents were like, let's do it all together as a family. And it kind of never panned out. Um, we climbed a lot as kids, but uh, we just never went up the Grand. Um, and so the first time I ever went up there was with Amy and um that was, uh, let's see, I was probably like 25 or something. We were probably 25. And, um, and Amy, who is like a total amazing athlete, uh, she was like, I'm going up the grand tomorrow. Basically you can come if you want. And, uh, <laughs> I took that as an obvious challenge that I was ready to take on. <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, I might sneeze. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, she was basically like, we're leaving at 1am, like be there or don't be there. So for me, I'm obviously like, okay, I'm definitely going to be there. Like I want to do this and I want to be with you. And I'm pretty sure if I don't show up, like neither is going to happen. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> this is done. Yeah. So uh, the first time we both did it was together. And so doing it with Bob was, uh, was sort of extra special in that way too. Um, I had done it a, a few times since also in the winter and skied it. So I was fairly familiar with the mountain. And then um, 
we had some uh, friends who were really familiar with the mountain uh, kind of overseeing us. So we were like a team of three, Amy and Bob and I, and then uh, to make sure we were sort of like extra safe, we had another mountain guide kind of watching us uh, and overseeing the whole thing. Um, and uh, yeah, so I felt like we did it pretty safely and, and had a good plan and had a good team and uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, I didn't think we would make it at various parts during the day. So the, it was kind of like, oh, I think it could do it. And then there was a lot of like, oh yeah, wait, I don't think this is going to happen. Hmm. And then eventually like, wow, that actually happened. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was, it was cool. It was not a given. Um, it was like a proper challenge. And I'll tell you one thing is like, Bob is not, he does not want to do it again. Like he likes talking about it and telling people that he did it. And, and he likes when people watch the movie, but, uh, if you ask him again, he's like, no way I'm not doing that right. again. So he I think like, it was, he likes to like hold court at the end of the table, like at a, like dinner and like talk about like the thing that happened. Oh like, yeah. Oh, we should go do it now. He's like, Oh no, no, no. I mean, I've already done it. Yeah. And even <laughs> when he got down, like, I remember we got down like in the dark. In fact, we didn't get all the way down, but so we got down a little ways to camp. Um, we basically went from 13,000 feet to like 11,000 feet off the really technical, like dangerous stuff um, and camp there before finishing the next day. But w- we got down to that camp and like pitch black. Um, and uh, I remember we sort of got to safety and, and Amy and Bob and I had this, this, this moment of just like, release uh of all the sort of like built up anxiety and and tension and fear and we just had this group hug and i remember bob just was like what would he say he's we're we're in the middle of this hug oh i can't believe we did it you know like kind of reminiscing on the day and bob's just like oh netflix tomorrow netflix (laughs) (laughs) it was like yeah that was great but like i'm ready to watch a movie and chill out (laughs) Um, but but in some ways that's like speaking some serious truth to what like i think a lot of people might also feel in that it's like you know like you feel like the joy and everything but then you're also like man i really want to get home and like have a bagel and watch netflix Oh. And like, no one wants to necessarily say it in front of everybody because they're like, oh, we're supposed to be like having this moment. But it, yeah. like, it's also like, yeah, but it's time to go home. He's like, let me tell you how it really is, is I'm trying <laughs> to get home and rest because I'm super tired. That was crazy. And mm-hmm. I need to like, just come down off this mountain, um, mm-hmm. both metaphorically and physically. <laughs> so you, you said that he had like had some background in climbing as well. So he was already like, doing some some climbing was this like like um like on on mountains or like in climbing gyms like what you know are kind of everywhere yeah he would uh so amy's a climber and in particular when she was like getting him back into food and movement uh after that period of time when he, he wasn't doing either uh one of the things she would do is bring him to the climbing gym um mm-hmm. so i would say it started in the climbing gym and i i would say like his climbing, like he probably likes the climbing gym more than climbing outdoors, although he likes climbing outdoors. Um, cause it's really playful, you know, there's like padded floors, the ropes are safe. It's a social scene, which I think he really likes. So he can be at the top and ring the bell and, and people can kind of see him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, yeah, he would, they, he would climb in the climbing gym and, you know, it's amazing is like, he climbs really well, actually. He, he can climb like quite hard. Um, and, uh, if he feels safe, like, wow, it's amazing watching him move. Uh, he almost always makes a really 
good movement, like to the next hold with his legs, with his hips, with his arms. And uh, typically his first like instinct is, is correct. Like he's just makes this move and you're like, wow, that's nice, Bob. Uh, the thing that sort of stops him is like, sometimes he doesn't realize he makes that move and he just has to like try a little bit harder to hold on or to move up. And so sometimes he gets frustrated when he makes that move and then he realizes or doesn't realize that he needs to, to actually like continue the move. He needs to just pull, you know, or like use his muscles a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the trick with him is like, that little bit of encouragement of like, that's great. And you're yelling it, you know, from the bottom of the, the floor up to the top. And you're like, that was great, Bob. Like, but if he's in the, in the right repetition, he like will climb right up. But as soon as that little spike hits, then you've got this communication barrier where you're like, you know, move your right hand to the right. And he moves his left hand, you know, somewhere where you, you're like, no, 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 your other right hand mm-hmm. and he'll move it again. And so uh, it's a total exercise in, in sort of like trying hard and uh, or trying hard enough, um, which might be I think a little further than, than first, uh, than first glance. And then also it's like communication. Um, sometimes when he gets frustrated, he wears glasses. Uh, sometimes I've seen multiple times where he gets frustrated and it just takes off his glasses and just throws them off the cliff. Um, <laughs> it's pretty funny at the climbing gym and generally fine, but I've seen him do it off actual cliffs too. <laughs> We're like, Bob, don't, don't throw your glasses off the cliff. Like don't, mm-hmm. don't give up, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like it's not over yet. Right. right. This isn't the place. Like we, we have, we have to continue. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so now we just don't send him up with his glasses on <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to begin with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah. So he, and he climbed outdoors too. Um, and usually like if we go, sort of like sport climbing, really mellow areas. Uh, that, that's something that's really enjoyable because I think it feels a bit like the gym. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, yeah, coming down. He mostly loves coming down, I think, and like playing on the rope. Uh, oh, like re- re- repelling and stuff? Yeah. And so when we repel, we do it together. So I'm in control and he's like leashed to me and mm-hmm. I control the, 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 the like break and the friction and everything. Um, he does not have control of that. But uh, he still gets the like free fall. And the first time we did it, I remember we climbed, we were in this place called City of Rocks in Idaho. It's like this middle of nowhere ranch land with these transformer looking enormous boulders everywhere Um, with great camping. We're climbing. We went up to this really tall climb. And at the top, it's basically like a knife edge ridge. Uh, with a little perch. So he's climbing up. He did really well on the climb. It's pretty hard climbing pretty long. And he gets to the top and he's like gassed and he gets on the perch and then he looks around and he's like, you can tell in his head, he's like, what, you know, WTF, like, what do we do now? Like, are you crazy? Like, what are we going to do up here? How do we get down? (laughs) Um, And uh, so then we like, we rigged the rappel and I've got him in my lap and he's like, so wide-eyed terrified and just you know i could explain all i want beforehand this is how it works here's the mechanism it works with friction it's totally safe i've done it a hundred times we're gonna double check and triple check like all our systems but that stuff doesn't matter right because he he talks with nonverbal communication so i just try to be really calm and present and let him know like he's safe with me we're gonna get down together like just give me some time to set it up and uh and then as we take take off. I'm like, okay, he basically sits in my lap and we're tied together. And then 
I'm looking at him like, Hey Bob, are you ready? We're going to go down now. And I think he's basically like, no, I'll stay up here forever. I don't trust this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then that fear went from like about halfway down, turned into total stoke when he realized he could kind of trust what we were doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it went from like, Oh, I'm terrified. What's going to happen to, Oh, I'm on a roller coaster ride. And so he starts, he starts just yelling for joy. He's his mom is like 800 miles away. He's like, hi mom. He's he's like ripping down. And so now I think climbing for him is basically just like an excuse to, to get the roller coaster part on the way down. Right. To get up to the top so he can rappel down. Yeah. He's definitely like a downhill guy, but he'll do the uphill to get it. (laughs) Um, And he skis as well, right? Yeah. He skis. Uh, I mean, really, he does so many sports. He skis, he, he bikes, although it's not totally safe. Um, skateboards, uh, hikes, like there's, there's tons, tons of things that he's dabbled with or does all the time. I'd say skiing is a big one. Um, and climbing, we actually don't do all the time, but when we do, we remember like how much fun it is for him. I think he, he enjoys it. I'm curious because uh, I got to look at your website and I know you like, you know, you, you teach skiing, but like, um, I don't know. It's a, it's not the way that I taught skiing with like groups. Like you're, it's more like private coaching. Uh, yeah. It, I mean, it's not uh, unlike what I would do with a group, um, mm-hmm. but as a job, it, it comes down to more like private coaching. Um, yeah. And partly because I, I've had this experience as both a mountain guide and a coach. I was a coach for kids for like 10 years, ages like 10 to 20, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's kind of a culmination of all those things. And then because we have little kids, I just don't have time uh, or resources to, to do it all the time. So this is sort of it turned into a, a private or a virtual um, way of, of teaching. And, uh, sometimes it's one-on-one, but sometimes it's with groups. Uh, and it is, it's pretty particular. Like it's, it's definitely for people who it's it, not so much if they are experts or intermediate or, or novice, but if someone is really interested in getting better, um, my goal is to sort of help their understanding of skiing. So within a short time, we, if we can change their understanding and, or like the mechanisms of how skiing works, um, then they can, if they're the type of person who's, who's going to continue that learning on their own with that understanding, it's really focused on, okay, here's the mechanisms. And now you know what to do because it takes so long to change your habits and change your ideas and, and all these things. So we really focus on understanding and then they can take it wherever they want. Mm -hmm. Do you, I mean, if you can even reflect on it in this way, I'm curious, like if you notice how your relationship with Bob and like the way you've like learned to, to communicate with him. I don't know, hearing you kind of talk about like going up the mountain and then like the climbing and all the things like how that has like, you know, influenced or changed how you approach teaching with, with other people. Um, yes. Although I'm guessing it's probably mostly subconscious changes, but I, I think there's a, been a huge impact in between my relationship with Bob and like teaching him, but also that reciprocation of learning from him because mm. so many times you, you have this idea of what you want Bob to do. And almost every time he does it in a totally different way. Um, sometimes like the opposite way. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes that's hilarious and sometimes it's frustrating. 
so really I think what it has, what Bob has taught me is that, um, you know, there is no right way to do things. There's no like set language. There's no like concrete way of doing anything. There's only like what you wanted to happen and what happened. And uh, so like if making this movie about Bob was a good example. So uh, about half the movie is almost like, is sort of like fictionalized recounting of his life. Um, and so I wrote out a script and I would, you know, we'd go to shoot and we'd say like, okay, Bob, I want you to walk from point A to point B. And when you get to point B, like turn around at me. And he would like, we could place him at point A, but there's no guarantee he was ever going to get to point B. Um, so like the process of figuring out both, okay, how can I communicate that? So he either does get to point B or how can I change like the way we're filming it so that whatever he does, we capture. Um, it's yeah. Or like the skateboarding is a good example. Like he just could not stand on the board. Well, he kept falling down and, and it was really frustrating for him. And then he made this switch where he decided to sit on the board. So he turns into this butt border and because he's an excellent sledder, um, you know, like a snow sledder, uh and because he's super flexible like he can sit full lotus um, and does all the time he seems to be like really grounded and balanced when he's on his butt which is hilarious um all of a sudden he was doing these things that like one uh, butt boarding is not easy but it really suited his style and all of a sudden it's like he's a skateboarder because he's a butt boarder because he found out you know he just sort of experimented with what worked and and that's what worked uh so this typical idea of like you stand on the skateboard you move your feet like this you like here's how you ollie you press down or here's how you drop in you you know you put your weight and your pressure here is like all that stuff was totally out the window the language was out the window the communication was like kind of out the window and it, it really goes back to like okay well what are we trying to do well we're trying to have fun so let's just focus on that first and foremost. And then all of a sudden by totally rearranging your brain and sort of letting things happen um, and being okay with falling and experimenting and like trying these like way different than usual um, patterns of movement and, and communicating. It's like all of a sudden we just found ourselves and, Oh, okay. This is what, this is what's working. This is what we'll keep going with. Uh, that's totally true of, of skiing too. And, um, I, I tried to, I, I've actually always wanted to write a book about ski technique. Um, and what I realized in, so this, the website and my coaching was sort of like a takeoff on that. I'm like, I just have all this, so much stuff about skiing in my head. I just got to get it out. Um, so I sort of just started down this path. And what I realized is like, as I'm trying to develop a formula, it's very clear to me that like, there is no actual formula. Um, so the, the, like, if there were a formula, it would be that there is no formula and that there's no right way. There's, there's basically only like, okay, well, what are we trying to do? And did it work? And so in coaching, I try to just be clear about that. Well, what are you, what do you want to get out of this? What are you trying to do? Like how, what's your idea of skiing better? Um, the whole program is called ski more good, partly as a joke because it sounds funny. Um, and partly because ski, like ski more good is ridiculous. Like, you know, it's not proper English. And that is, that is important to me because there's no proper way to ski. Um, but you can ski better and you can decide what that means for you. And then we like, we kind of figure that out together. So I do a lot more asking questions than I do telling people what to do. And I found that, 
you know, most people, including myself, don't like to be told what to do. Um, we like to come up with our own ideas. And so really like ski more good is like a guide and, uh, to, to figuring things out yourself. Um, like and it's, it's fun. Like, it's a, yeah. That's a, you, you're talking about this thing that I feel like I, I, I think more about now. Cause you know, for a long time I was, I would consider myself like teaching movement mm-hmm. and more recently I've been like, no, 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 no. I, now I'm, I'm just going to like facilitate movement and they're different in the sense where like, to me, teaching is like, I know what you need to learn. Right. And facilitating is like, I'm going to create the opportunities for you to learn what you need to learn. Yeah. And, and I, do you also find that, uh, if you set it up that way, you learn as the quote unquote teacher, just as much as the quote unquote student is. That's how I feel. I'm, I'm huge mountains. You know what I mean? Cause there's some, I mean, with Bob, it's amazing. Cause it's like the, the, the choices, um, are so much more, um, the, the, the different style of choice is so much bigger, but everybody mm-hmm. makes different choices. And when it's like the whole setting is to be like, Oh, like, let everybody make their own choices. Like you get to see like, Oh, that's so interesting. You have like, you know, a certain scenario and 30 people all doing the same scenario, but they're all like taking a different way. And you're like, well, that's amazing. Like that's how like everybody's uniqueness can feed each other being like, Oh, well, what did they do creatively? What was their problem solving strategy? And now you're like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to try that one too. You know, that only happens by letting people like kind of find their own way. Yeah. I think if you assume that everyone is, has the same capability and don't try to like strangle that either with a preconceived idea of what people are capable of, or, um, then I, I think what you see is like, Oh, everyone is so rad. I mean, the way people (laughs) approach things is, is their own way. And that is what's beautiful. And if you try to if you try to like throttle that into a different way, you know, it might just not work. Whereas, uh, if you can create an atmosphere that allows for, um, someone to be themselves and to learn about themselves, then you just see these beautiful things. And I think what's cool is like, as the teacher, you're just doing the exact same thing for yourself. You're learning from other people. You're like, you're watching how they do it and applying it to yourself. And, uh, yeah, I think that's the the beautiful thing about life. And, and like, to me, skiing is just a conduit for that. Um, and mm-hmm. it's one that's fun to do. Uh, and with Bob, it's like, God, we learned so much about life through Bob that, you know, he really like kickstarts some of these lessons, like the food is like, you know, it's easy to learn about food and nutrition and diet and, and then in yourself, try to apply these things. But when you have to do it for someone else, to make sure that they're surviving, that they're happy and healthy, and you really take it seriously for someone else. It's, it's so much, uh, I think it's, it's way easier to do for someone else because it's, you know, it's, it's easy to cheat with yourself, but like with someone else that you care about, it's way harder to cheat because you truly care with yourself. It's like, Oh yeah, I know this stuff, but like, eh, I'm going to eat this. So it really becomes like a, a teamwork thing. And then also you're like, okay, if that's true for Bob, it's probably true for me. And so I like take the lessons we learned from Bob and, and say like, okay, that's definitely true for me too. I should maybe apply this to myself as well. As well. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I, I don't know. There's, um, 
I don't know. You're speaking about so many things that are just like, I don't know, the, the, the ideas that like I bounce around with a lot. Have you read the, the, the book, The Inner Game of Tennis? Oh, dude, I love it. And he made I, a skiing one, but I don't really? like the skiing one. I always, I only referenced the the tennis one. Yeah. So what is it? Self one and self two. Yeah. And, as, as, um, as, you, as you were talking, as I read your website before we talked, I was like, I feel like he's read the inner game of tennis. Yeah. My dad gave me that book in like high school or something like that. Cause he liked it. Um, and it's, I'm, I mean, I probably read it front to back, like so many times. Yeah. It's, it's definitely in there. And, um, I actually like tennis. I love tennis mostly because of that. I don't even play that much, but I love that book. And then <laughs> I also love, um, I read, I read, um, infinite jest. This is David Foster Wallace, like epic novel. It's like the size of a pillow, um, makes a decent pillow too. Uh, I remember slugging through it and it's funny cause, uh, it's, it's so dense, but the thing that really stands out to me was this quote about, about tennis also. Um, it was about, he was sort of like declaring his love for tennis and how the tennis is so beautiful because there are boundaries and, and rules that are pretty clear. Like the ball has to go inside of the line, not outside the line. It has to bounce once, not twice. And uh, his point was that within those boundaries, there's an infinity, right? Between uh, the, the, the person you're playing against and yourself, like you could make any number of shots and you will probably never replicate those same shots. What the, your opponent is gonna do, you have no idea. Like there's this, because there's boundaries, there's an infinity within the boundaries. Whereas if you had no boundaries, if there's no lines, if there's no rules on the bounces and those kinds of things, like you, there's not even room for infinity. Like if everything is just lost. Uh, so uh, that idea of boundaries, I think is really cool. And tennis is like a good example of it. But um, I find that with skiing, that it, like when I transform my thought to, okay, what are the boundaries here? Like, what are the boundaries of my skis? What can they do and what can't they do? You know, they, when I started thinking about it that way, I'm like, Oh, actually it's pretty simple. Like they can rotate, they can roll up on edge, they can flex. Um, that's pretty much it. There's almost, there's a few other things like they can float. Um, and there's like a torsional rotation, but they're not as important. Um, so when I, in my head, I'm like, Oh, the boundaries of skiing are actually really simple because the skis can only do three things, but within those three things, there's an infinity because how much you roll them, how much you rotate them, how much you flex them, it's always a blend. And, uh, and then you add the terrain and the steepness and the snow types and all this stuff. And you're like, wow, this is really simple, but it's so complicated. So I just try to think like, okay, well, let's just keep it simple and then let the environment dictate everything else. Uh, yeah, I, the inner game of tennis and that one quote about that there's an infinity within a set of boundaries are like total guiding lights um, in my life. I, I, it makes me think. So before we were here in Amsterdam, we were, we were a couple other places. We were in Brussels. We went to Brussels because I wanted to take this dance workshop with this guy who teaches like a, a style of contemporary dance and it's all built around improvisation. Mm. And I think improvisation is like really what it's all about. Right. Like, I mean, in all of these things, because like, that's what life is. Yeah. Um, but he, he was talking about, you know, improvisation and the idea of constraints, which is what you're talking about with boundaries. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? Same thing. And, probably. Yeah. And he said, you know, as he pointed out and as we can probably get into like 
there's constraints in everything, whether they're environmental, whether it's like the other person you're dealing with or what you're dealing with in, inside you, there's, there's always constraints. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said it, he, he sometimes thinks of the constraints as like, like almost like fake micro injuries, right? Mm-hmm. So like the way you have to like make an adjustment for an injury mm-hmm. is like a constraint, right? And, you know, for instance, like the ski one might be like the injury is almost that like you can't move your ankles and you have like suddenly longer feet and you're like on snow or, you know what I mean? It's just, that's like, basically exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like, it's like, it's, you know, that all like that you, you create certain constraints to like facilitate surprise and discovery and novelty. Yeah. Um, and I thought that that was like a really interesting way of putting it as well. But when you were talking about like your, your fondness for this idea of boundaries, I was like, oh yeah, that's the, it's the same constraints thing. You know what I mean? Like, oh, your injury keeps you stuck within a certain parameter and, you know, imagining it as an injury, I thought was a very fun way. Yeah, that's, that's cool. I, I've been injured a lot, so <laughs> I could really relate to that. But um, that reminds me of like, yeah, I mean, just if you take walking as like the primary form of movement or, or A1, but like, like if let's think about walking, it's like skiing is basically just walking. But just like you said, now you got these long, goofy feet that that act a little bit different. So you just sort of change your body to act a little bit different accordingly. But it's like, okay, if you're walking on a flat, it's pretty easy. Like you've got your normal gait, nothing's interrupting. But then let's say you get to like a really steep stair set going downhill. You know, there's only two things you can really do. You can either slowly and usually you turn to the side, sort of like break and resist yourself down the hill. So you're really slowly controlling yourself down the steps, or you could be like sprint down the steps and let gravity, you like team up with gravity. You're either resisting gravity or you're going with it. But if you go with it, you got to like think about, okay, well, how long are these steps? How much is it going to hurt if I fall down them at full speed? Like how much can I keep up with this? Knowing that if I'm really teaming up with gravity, I'm going to be accelerating um, at whatever 9.8 meters per second. Like I'm going to be going fast. So are these short steps? Are they long steps? You know, when I get to the bottom, is it going to be really abrupt or is it going to be a gentle thing? And then if it's, if it's like, oh, I don't want to run down those, then you go slow. And if you're like, oh, I think I could run down those, then that's great too. Um, if you go back, if it's not that steep and you, and you're like, oh, I should go really slow, then you might not ever get to the bottom. Same with skiing. Like if it's not that steep, it might not be appropriate to ski, like with the brakes on, you won't get anywhere. You know, it might be appropriate to just go straight down the hill and know that you can stop when it's appropriate. Um, yeah. So I, I, I think the simple movements are like, we have them, we know them, you know, like you watch a kid move and you're like, Oh, they picked up on that pretty quick. Uh, and then you just kind of apply it differently and, and add a little experience. And then all of a sudden you're like, you're, you're taken off. When we also have this like beautiful intelligence, and this is what he talks about in like a inner game of tennis. Mm -hmm. Like we have this like amazing intelligence that we often get in the way of. Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100%. And, and, and honestly, when you were talking about Bob, I was like, oh, like, he's he's not as often getting in his own way. He just, like, he he can just get to that place where, like, the intelligence kind of, like, navigates and, like, does the, like, the, the problem solving. Yeah, I would say that that's true until he does get in his own way, whether that's fear or – but it's – I would say that his – when he gets in his own way, it's fear – which is true of all of us, but 
it's less so like embarrassment because I think that's something that also gets in our way. Like mm -hmm. if you're in a crowd or in a sport or like there's a, it's a game that where there's winners and losers, then I think there's, there is like actual fear, like physical fear, like, Oh, I don't want to crash, but there's also, I don't want to lose or even I don't want to win. Or like there's, there's these other set of fears, I guess that come from, weird social cues and structures and things like that where I don't think he falls into those categories like embarrassment isn't really one of his things like judgment is like not a yeah he doesn't care what you think I mean yeah. he could tell if you're like happy or sad about it but like if his pants fall down in the middle like and you laugh then you just laugh because um, like, judgment to me is like is the big one Judgment yeah. is like that. And, and, and when we're, when we're like, it's like when judgment rolls in, that's when we try to like knowledge our way through things. Totally. And and Which works is, horribly. <laughs> it's so horrible. And like, and I think, you know, I think about skiing and I think about being a, a ski teacher and I think about being taught to ski. And then I think about having gone through my process of teaching and, you know, thinking about it and being with it and trial and error and then I met this person in, in Colorado who had just started teaching skiing. And he was like asking me like what I thought about teaching or something. I don't know how it came about. And I was like, you know, it might be like one of the, just like the most simple things you can do to teach someone to ski is just make them follow behind you. Yeah. I was like, rather than talking to them about skiing, if they just right. like, if you just say, stay behind me, a lot can happen. Yeah. That they'll, that they will learn on their own. Totally. And, and that's the human magic. Mm -hmm. Like that's the intelligence being like, all right, well, I have to figure out how to like stay in this person's line. Yeah. Like, and that's, and I'll, and I will learn without having to think about it. Totally. Yeah. That, that uh, we do a lot of like vision stuff, like literally where you're looking and, and how you're using your eyeballs. But um, and we could talk about that, but it, that really remind me of this, this like, it took 15 years to realize this lesson. But um, when I was a kid, I remember we had a guest coach and the guest coach was this guy, Tommy Moe, who's um, one of the country's best or only Olympic medalists. I think he won a downhill and a silver at, um, I forget which Olympics, but anyways, so it's amazing ski racer um, who's, uh, he loves to party. He likes to like drink and smoke and, um, have a good time. And he's also, you know, one of the most decorated American skiers of all time. Uh, so, um, he, I think that, uh, he showed up one day and we were pumped. We're like, Oh, we're going to learn from Tommy Mo today. Are you kidding me? We're going to get the secrets like of, of all the secrets. Um, and I remember we, we just did so many laps and all he did was he was like, all right, follow me. And we just, we literally just like straight line the mountain in our tux over and over again. And, uh, I remember being like, where's the juice? Like, when's he going to tell us, you know, how to win the Olympics? What, like, where's this golden nugget of, of information like going to happen? And it never came. And I remember we were joking because from time to time he would stop and, and look at us at our group of like 13 or 14 year olds. And he'd just look at us and be like, snow's good. <laughs> it's really good snow today fast and then we'd like take off again and we, i remember that was our joke because we'd be like oh my god this this guy's an idiot like i literally all i could say all day was snow was good and we there was like this running joke amongst my teammates and i for years oh snow is good and then like 
you know, fast forward 15 years, I had this moment where I was like, oh my God, Tommy Mo was so right. Like the snow is this main constraint. And if the snow is good, you usually ski good. And if the snow is bad, you usually don't feel that great. And it's almost as simple as that. So like part of what we do at Ski More Good is like, well, let's find good snow so that you can feel good. <laughs> and if the snow sucks, it's like you're, this meter of how good you are is on a spectrum of how good the snow is. And no matter how good you are, you will only feel as good as like the snow provides. So if the snow is perfect, if there's not much friction, if it's forgiving, if it's, if it's easy, you'll feel good. And if the snow is bad, if it's slick, if it's icy, if it's super bumpy, if it's, if it's any number of things, which it, you know, usually is, you can only feel as good as like what the snow is giving you. So you could be skiing perfectly, but you might feel radly and out of control and slipping and sliding. It's like, you could be skiing it perfect, but still feel bad. Um, and on the flip side, if the snow is super good, you don't even have to ski that well for it to feel amazing. Because well, you, you, you get all this, you get away with everything. It's this interesting thing where he's, he's like really addressing that, like you're dancing, like you're dancing with the snow yeah, and like, like this yeah. is your dance partner. And like, you're both, it's, it's not, this is not like a one-sided game here. No. Yeah. And sometimes you're both just like feeling it. Sometimes the snow is good and you're going fast. And right. sometimes like your partner is a little grumpy and you keep misstepping and like you can get through it, but it's not going to be that magical moment. So that I remember just being like, Oh my God, Tommy Mo, he's not an idiot. He's a genius. <laughs> well, also a genius in the sense where it's almost like, you know, at that level where you guys are skiing at that level, it's like any person coming in with like nuanced techniques. It's like, it's almost like they, to me, it's people feel like they have to say things because they're being paid to be there. That's, reality, that's the downfall of like almost all coaching is that it, it would be best if all if we as coaches just kind of set up a nice environment and shut up. But mm -hmm. you're like, I should be saying something. I should be saying something. So I will blah, 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 bend your knees, like here, flex your toes, whatever this right. and that. And you're just like, Oh my God, this is, this is horrible. It's not working. Right. Right. When it should be just like, I don't know, but, you know, facilitate just opportunities for maybe certain surprises to unfold. And in that case, it might just be like, hey, you've got to ski the way Tommy Mo is skiing that day by just skiing with him. Yeah. And then like, what, you know, something happens, but it's like, you can't always talk about it. And the truth is, but like in the world we live in, people want to go to like the bar or like to school or whatever after and be like, let me tell you exactly what I learned from so-and-so. Right. Right. And like, whatever you can talk about is actually a fraction of what you learned and probably not the most valuable thing that you learned. Right. Right. Yeah. Or like in this case, sometimes, you know, cause people will sign up and it's like a random day, maybe a month in advance. You have no idea what you're going to get. So oftentimes what they get is, is, is sort of my lesson of like, let's figure out how to find the best snow because yeah. then we'll fit, then we'll feel good. So then, then the lesson becomes like, <clears throat> which way was the wind blowing? Like, you know, where's, what's the aspect of the sun? Like which direction are we facing? And, and then this, this odd way, it's like, okay, you just take what you get and, and make the most of it. But maybe there's a way of really making the most of it in a totally different way than you thought. Um, like we're not maybe doing drills. We're literally just 
skiing to find the right aspect in the best snow so that you can feel good. And, and maybe that's like the lesson for that day. Right. Or broadly, it's almost this like lesson of like observing, right? Yeah. Oh, like the the more you can be tuned into like what you're kind of like aware of around you might dictate like where you ski Mm -hmm. as opposed to how you ski. Totally. Yeah. Because that's the reality is that's just as important or more important. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I feel like, I don't know. I feel like we think about things in some similar ways, at least at this point today. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we have some similar ideas to like sharing ideas oh hey bob's here bob you want to say hi oh yeah, hi. here put these on you can see here what's that eric can you see bob's short okay you just talk like normal hi bob, how, how are you hi how are you how going oh you're yelling <laughs> long time no see yeah see yeah i'm coming coming visit i i, I got to Amsterdam. watch you in Europe, visit in Europe. He's in Europe right now. Oh, Europe. You want to go? Yeah. Yeah, go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, yes. Hey, man. I got to see you. I got to see your movie. It was so good. Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, good movie. Good. Oh yeah, yeah. We sh- he watched the ducky goes up. Oh, right, ducky, ducky, ducky goes up. Yeah, it was <laughs> yeah. amazing. Dude, Wait, congrats. Bob, would you climb the Grand Teton? Oh, yeah, Grand, Grand Teton. Would you do it again? Again. Would you do it again? Yes. Yes? Yes. Really? Yes. Yeah? Yeah. Are you just saying that? Oh, uh, yes. Would you rather watch Netflix? Yeah, Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Man, the, but, Bob, the movie was so good. You were so great in it. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. It made, it made me want to go, it made me want to go climb it, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Climb it. Yeah. I'll send him out in a second. So, and then, and then, um, I also heard that uh that that you're you've gotten really into right, skateboarding as well. Yeah, yeah, skateboard. Oh, skateboarding. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I saw that in the documentary as well. It's very cool, man. But it's so good to see you. I feel like it's been so long. I don't think I've seen uh, you since okay. high school. Yeah, yeah, high school. Yeah. Yes. Do you remember high school? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you remember Kyle? Uh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe right. the next time you come right? through Reno, I hope I'll see you. Uh, yeah, come in, come in. I mean, we know. We know. Me too. Come. And then we'll, uh, we'll go out for tacos. Okay, Max. Tacos. 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 Yeah. Me too. You too. Tacos. Nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When If Kyle comes back to Reno, we'll have tacos together. Okay. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> tacos. Awesome. All right. See you, Bob. Good to see you, man. I think Nana went out went outside. Okay, <laughs> man, it's so good to see him. Yeah, like he's probably that same person. Yeah, he's. I, I don't know. Okay. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs> it's so great. So I, 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 when you guys did this climb, like I don't know. I guess I saw like the Outside Magazine article. Hmm. Did you have any idea that it was going to, this event would get any sort of press? Was that like something that was on your radar or were you guys just like, oh, we're just going out and doing this? Um, Both. We knew that it could be uh, impactful just because he would, well, we just assume, I I assume that no one else with Down syndrome had done that before. Um, um, So I I feel like there, we knew that there could be a big impact and um, not, not that we were like 
banking on it or, or even expecting it, but we thought it was a possibility for sure. And then on the flip side of that, we're like, well, we're just going to try it anyways. Um, we would, we would do it without having people with cameras there and, and we would do it with, um, so yeah, I would say both sides of the coin. We thought this could be really cool. I'm sure people with Down syndrome and, and probably a lot of families of people with Down syndrome would find some inspiration from this. Uh, mm-hmm. And so that's why we brought cameras. That's why we asked friends to come with cameras and sort of film it. Um, we knew that we might not even make it to the top and then nothing would happen likely. So uh, yeah, I, I would say like we were both pleasantly surprised and, and maybe even a little overwhelmed that um, at the time it, it did turn into like at least a little internet, like viral sensation. And that, and that was pretty cool. Uh, that was really cool. What, and what was like some of like the response and also like the response from, you know, other families and, and, and people with Down syndrome? The, the, the most meaningful responses were from new parents uh, of children with Down syndrome. And I think that's probably still true is like, you know, being responsible for someone with Down syndrome is, is pretty real deal. Like there are tons of variables that, you know, just being a parent is a huge deal. And now you add all these other variables and it, it can be daunting and, and nerve wracking and, and all these emotions that are really hard to capture. And so, uh, I think what was cool is, um, well, let me give you an example. I have a friend in Austria who just had a child with, with Down syndrome and, um, it's his third child and they knew it was going to be a boy, but they didn't know, um, that uh, little Henry would have down syndrome. And he had this, this idea of what, what his life with his, his little boy would be like, uh, he's like, Oh, you know, we'd just be climbing and skiing and like playing and hanging out and I can't wait. And then he gets hit with like this ultimate surprise. And now the question is like, Oh, are we going to be able to do any of this? Will it just be hard? You know, like what? So I think what was cool is, and, and, and that stuff's all true. Like I think being responsible for someone with Down syndrome is extra. Like it's really hard and demanding and, and all these things um, that come with it that are sort of on one end. And then what I think his climb did for a lot of people was show like, yeah, but it's not all that because just like life, like there's joy and accomplishment and achievement and like, it looks different, but it's all the same things. And, and there, and that stuff is there too. Um, I, I, I think that was the most meaningful kind of interactions we had was from new parents who were just like, wow, like, thank you. Cause we have no idea what it's going to be like in the next year or the next 20. Um, you know, it's all going to be kind of a surprise, but this is a, this is a cool example of, of things that are possible um, when it does come to like achievement and fun and being outdoors. And I don't know that, that to me was really impactful. And then also I, I kind of along those similar lines is like, you know, the, one of the things we wanted to make clear in the movie is like, it, it's not always like that. It's not always accomplishment and independence and overcoming things. Like there's really hard stuff too. And it's uh but if you handle some basic stuff like food, movement, being outdoors, and and especially if you can sort of mask that stuff with fun or not even mask it, but just have it be fun, mm-hmm. right? It's like then things like the Grand Teton are totally possible. Whereas if you're not sort of taking care of those fundamental human needs, then things like the Grand Teton are not possible. Um, well, yeah, when you, you know, you, you just made me think it's like, you, you know, like, you can't have fundamental without fun. Totally. 
especially with Bob. Like if it's not fun, then he's not doing it. But if it's fun, like if you can make eating delicious, healthy, like nutritious food fun, then he'll do it. If you make it a chore, he's going to be like bummed about it. And, you know, if, if, if going outside is this strict, like hard regimen that he's not into for exercise, he's not going to be into it. But if you're just moving outdoors and it's fun, like if you're dancing half the time and that's what he wants to do, then he'll do it all day long. Um, so I, I don't know that that's another point where like, oh, that's a great lesson for me too, because if this works for him and this is like this really like human element, then if I'm a human, then it's going to work for me too. Mm -hmm. Is there a plan to release the, I mean, the, the, the film is a short, I mean, I don't know if you're, if, if it's always going to stay a short and you're just going to release it as a short, or if there's ever any idea to like make something big longer. No, we'll, we'll continue to make stuff, but I think this project will stay as a short video. It's about 20 minutes long, mm-hmm. um, which I think is good mainly because, you know, like Bob loves movies, but he would literally sit and watch movies all day long if, if he's allowed to. And what we've seen is like, while that makes him short-term happy because he loves movies, the long-term like lack of movement that's associated with that makes him actually kind of unhappy and kind of cranky and anxious. So um, it's short for a variety of reasons, but we'll keep it that way. And we're going to release it to the world uh, soon. I'm sort of just working on a distribution plan that gets it out to the world. Mm -hmm. Um, I have faith that if uh, the viewers are anything like Bob, they will rewatch it. Um, so while it's not a full length movie, I was, I was, I actually set out to make a full length movie and then we're like, nope, it's not. Um, but I kind of like the idea of being like, no, like in this spirit, watch the 20 minute movie and then go spend the hour, the other hour and 10 minutes, like with your hands in the dirt somewhere. Totally. I think that's so interesting is like, you know, we live through stories as humans and, um, I've always been fascinated by, by that and, and but it's so interesting is the the way we intake stories is like you can be intaking a story about moving but you're just sitting there and so to me the real point of the movie is like okay if this movie inspires you enough to actually get up and and move then that's like goal accomplished but if all you're gonna do is what like continue to watch movies then that to me that story or maybe the way that it's seen or um, viewed or like something's off because it's, it's kind of like climate change. It's like, if you watch a movie about climate change and really believe in it, but then all you're doing is watching movies about climate change and believing it, it's like, well, what's the point of this? Um, So I think that that's this interesting thing about um, being so tied to stories is also like, well, how do you see them? How do you view them? How do you live them? Um, are you, I think a podcast is a great example. Like I pretty much only live through podcasts and audiobooks right now because of our children. So, cause we can listen to it when we're walking or when they're napping. And, um, we've, our family has turned into like an oral tradition because I don't have time to like act physically read. Um, especially if, uh, like turning the page is going to wake someone up or I'm walking and pushing the stroller or even carrying a kid, but I do have time to put in a a headphone and and continue to like listen to things. So Mm -hmm. 
uh, yeah, there's so many like nuances to not just the story, but how it's told. And so it's short and it'll stay that way. And, and we're trying to get it out to as many people, um, especially within the Down syndrome communities as we can. And so that'll happen soon, but I don't have a full plan yet. I'm sort of we just had the premiere, like in-person premiere, which was amazing in Reno. There were over 200 people there all stood up for Bob. Oh my God. It was amazing. I mean, I've seen this, you know, because I've edited it and worked on it. I've seen the video like hundreds of times. And, but when we watched it with people and Bob was in the front, like the energy there, like totally made me cry. I haven't had those same emotions since he climbed the grand Teton probably, but at the top, like when he's, I guess I'm going to give it away, but he gets to the top of the mountain and like, and people were cheering when he got to the top of the mountain. I just, I just didn't expect any of that. And all of a sudden there's like this energy from behind me towards Bob and the screen and his accomplishment. And I'm just like, you know, we're basically everyone in inside of Bob's family is like totally crying just because it felt so cool. So hopefully uh, I think that's, in-person viewings, uh, hopefully we'll do more because that energy is hard to replicate if you're just watching your computer, your TV, but we also want to make sure it's available to people. So we will get it to computers and TVs um, as soon as we can. And if people kind of want to like stay up on like when that might be, is it best to just kind of like follow you or Bob? It, it's Instagram probably best to follow Bob. And if you don't follow Bob on Instagram, you might be blowing it anyways. He's like, <laughs> he's, he's the perfect uh, Instagram influencer who has maybe, I, I don't know how much influence he has, but like, he's just the purest form of, of internet. I think. <laughs> What's, what um, is his Instagram handle? His Instagram is at Andrew Bob. Wait, let me check because it changes often. Um, I think, hold on. Yeah, I can pull it up. Or, I mean, my Instagram is okay uh, for information. There'll be information about availability. And if you're interested in skiing, you can find it at, at ski more good, um, ski.more.good. Um, Amy has a really great Instagram. She also controls Bob's. Um, and hers is just Amy Jess Hammer at Amy Jess Hammer. Um, and then, uh, and then I guess as a side note, I should just mention that like, she's, um, she's an author also, and she's just published a book, um, that's about pregnancy, but so much of it is about movement. So if you're interested in movement and you're interested in becoming, or you are pregnant, uh, or you're just curious, uh, that's like mind blowing stuff. And then Andrews is at Andrew Bob Hammer. Okay. And so between any of those three accounts, you'll find information as soon as we have it available to people, it'll be there. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So there's a, there's a lot. There's, um, there's Amy's book. Yep. There's, uh, all the ski more good. Yep. (laughs) And then, and then the, the eventual world premiere for, or world access yes to, to and and the, and the film is called ducky goes up and the film's called ducky goes up um aka the bob movie um, <laughs> so yeah there's t- there's tons there and i would say if you're gonna follow anyone honestly i would f- i would follow bob because he's just like a beautiful joy of light and um i would say amy's almost like greatest work of art is bob's instagram <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so they're, they're all good. 
Um, I can't stand Instagram, so I reluctantly use it and uh, not consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, but Amy and Bob do a good job of of being present in the online world. So I, yeah, I would I would stick with them. <laughs> well, listen, the next time, and I have no idea when this is, but the next time uh, we move through Reno, I'm I'm stoked that we will meet in person. Yep. And, uh, and we're going to eat some tacos. We're, we're eating tacos. And then if it's snowing, uh, I'm, I'm following you to the mountain for sure. Oh my God. So it's, I think we're wrapping up, but let me tell you one story about Bob that, that, that'll be a good ender. So he had, he worked at this retail store, actually at this Patagonia like outlet mm-hmm. tagging things. And every once in a while they do a field trip, um, for all their employees that they, they close the store and go do something cool together. Uh, one time while he was working there, they closed the store and they all went skiing at Diamond Peak, your, both of your home mountain. And some of the people knew how to ski or snowboard. Some of them were pretty good. Some of them were totally novice. And, um, but no one had known Bob that long. And they only knew him as the dude with Down syndrome who uses the laser gun to retag clothes. Uh, little did they know, Bob has been skiing his whole life and loves it and knows the mountain super well because that's his home mountain. So we kind of all gather up, you know, people are like kind of checking out the scene, other people's gear. Where do we go? We get to the top of the lift and everyone kind of comes together. Oh, where should we go? Where should we go? I don't know. I don't know. Like, uh, what do we do? And then, so, and then Bob gets off the lift, does not stop at the group, just keeps going. And P and his coworkers are like, was that Bob? Oh, I guess let's follow Bob. Um, so now Bob is in the front. And I mean, he had only been working at the store for like a month. So people really didn't know Bob. And uh, now all of a sudden they're just following him and he's in his element. You know, he's ripping down the mountain. Um, He knows exactly where he's going and he goes straight to the terrain park. Mm -hmm. Now, Bob loves the terrain park, but he doesn't actually like catching air. He likes the idea of it and the thrill of going up and over. But like actually getting his feet off the ground is like, too far over the edge for him. He just likes to go up and down. But this particular day was like, you know, 9 a.m. First run of the day is shady and and the snow is super fast. So he goes straight to the train park. Literally the entire store um, of employees is is following him. He's like the head of the Mighty Ducks Flying V and everyone's just like watching him, has no idea where they're going or what they're doing. And they're just like, well, we'll just follow Bob. He goes straight to the train park snows fast and he hits all three jumps and sails them like catches air lands them perfectly and then just like keeps going and and everyone had stopped because typically you like in front of a jump you're like get nervous and so the whole crew stops and just watches him hit these jumps lands them perfectly and goes down the bottom i remember i caught up to him at the bottom and i looked at his eyes he was all wild-eyed and I'm like bobby <laughs> you didn't mean to go that fast, did you? And he was like, no, (laughs) but from behind he like, it was literally, he couldn't have done it any better. He just caught the transitions perfectly nice and fluid looked like, you know, he did everything right. And he did. And I got to him and I was like, that's a little faster than he thought, huh? And he's like, oh yeah, <laughs> like, that's scary. <laughs> but meanwhile, his coworkers are up above like, oh my God, did you see Bob the whole rest of the day? They were like, did you see Bob off those jumps? Like, Bob is crazy. <laughs> like he's so good at all this stuff. And I just remember thinking like, 
yeah, this is how you get to know Bob, like get him out in the real world. Like, and he will blow your mind. Um, uh-huh. and I feel like, it, you know, once they saw him skiing and, and saw him hit those jumps, even if it was kind of on accident is <laughs> like his relationship with them went from like, Oh, that's Bob. He's the guy who does laser tag to like, this is Bob. He's like one of the most epic humans you could ever meet. Um, right. So legendary. He's a legend. Yeah. So we just, we try to like keep giving Bob that legend status. Um, Cause he does it on his own, but like, we want to make sure that people see it. <laughs> but also, but also again, like another good life lesson of like, you know, really get to know people. Totally. Like, like, totally. like you, you don't know until you know. Yep. Yeah. You, know? you don't know until you know, and you really got to like, it, it doesn't take a lot of effort, but it takes some effort to get to know someone. And it helps if you, you know, go through something together or try something together, anything like that. And uh, that's what happened that day. And I just remember like looking back up at his coworkers who were like, who is this guy? And now they really want to get to know him and like, and be with him and hang out with him. And, and before I was like, yeah, maybe not so much, but uh, send him through the terrain park on a good day. And, uh-huh. you know, Bob's the legend that everyone wants to hang out with. 